We continue to have cool mornings here in these mountains of western North Carolina. I shut off the heat and leave the bedroom window open at nights so we sleep in cold, fresh air. And that, of course, drops the temperature in the house down quickly. So the first thing I do in the morning is to see if I have to light a fire. We heat almost exclusively by wood fire in a buck stove fireplace insert. So no fire, no heat. It takes me about 20 minutes every morning to get the fire going, going the way I want it, and the heat being felt in the house. I mostly enjoy the process. Well, I do early in the season. Later in winter, I'll be pretty sick of it. Now, Mom and Razzie, the goats, they don't seem to mind the winter at all. I walked down early this morning to feed them, and they were already out grazing, or picking, as they say around here. They have a big area of grass and other vegetation, and they've picked most of it down. Soon it will all be covered with snow and dead, and I'll be feeding them hay. We played euchre last Friday night with a couple of friends. If you're from or have spent time in the Midwest, you may know of the card game Euchre. One of our friends is a fanatic of Paris Night Soap. She said, I can't believe how wonderful it makes my bathroom smell. I said, that's great. Would you please write a review about it? People would rather hear from you than from me. Oh, for those of you who prefer unscented soaps, no problem. My wild oak soap is wonderfully kind to your skin and has no scent. Go to our website, anashira.com, and buy some. We'll ship it anywhere in the good old U.S. of A. that you want. Don't forget to use discount code STORIES15 for a 15% discount. When I left you last week, I'd just eaten my first songbird paella. I'm glad you're back because I have more stories to tell about my life in a very small town in Andalusia. it helped my reputation in Rio Tinto after we got back from the bird hunt. The American went out and ate sardines and bird paella. It was strange to me, but normal for many of my students. I continued my teaching. I was surprised by my class of women. They were all wives of senior executives, so it represented the highest social caste in the town and area. One thing I'd learned about Spanish women was they have a wonderful sense of humor. Sarcastic, very cutting, dry, but funny. I laughed in that class. There were eight women, and they wanted to meet five days a week. Chato Marin and Maripepa Figueroa were the star students, and they pulled the others along. I wish my men's students had their energy and interest. I continued with my classes for managers and executives of the company. The students in the 6 o'clock classes had the most energy. The toughest were the ones at 9 o'clock. But that 9 o'clock wasn't like our American 9 o'clock in the evening. Spaniards start their day later. They take a break in the morning for onces, that is what they call 11 o'clockers, a snack, coffee. Their lunch started later, maybe 1 o'clock, and frequently would last long enough for a siesta. Then back to work mid-afternoon, and they'd work until 6 or 7, and dinner was late. I mean, really late. 
They might have tapas at 8 or 9, but frequently dinner would begin at 11. You go walk by restaurants in a city at 8 p.m. and the only people dining would be tourists, maybe a couple tables of them. So my classes didn't disturb their dinner times. That came later. My advanced class of senior executives was my most enjoyable as they had a working knowledge of English and could participate in some far-reaching discussions. Things changed when we began their second round of classes at 9 o'clock. We'd had a good week, and on Friday, Federico Sobel, who spoke very good English, said, Ernie, we've been talking. Yes, Fred? I used his English name. We, you know that our neighbor town, Nerva, has more nightlife than here in Rio Tinto, even though it's about the same size. Yes, I understand. We should drive over there, now. It was just three kilometers from Rio Tinto. They have some tapas bars with good tapas. We could have some with a glass of wine. We'll have living English and celebrate the progress we've made this week. Yeah, that's for sure. Everyone wanted to go. So we jump in a couple of cars and drive over to Nerva. We had a glass of wine, un tintico, plates of tapas. We weren't too far from the Mediterranean. And there were shrimps and then some calamares fritos fried squid, and Spaniards loved to talk, so we talked and talked. But soon our living English digressed to English mixed with Spanish, and then Spanish. Jose, one of the older men, balding, thin, a financial guy, said, Demasiado inglés dame dolor de cabeza. Too much English makes my head hurt. It's good to take a break. So living English had become living Spanish for me. And we got home about 11 or so. And this tradition with the advanced class continued. The next time, four weeks later, that we met at 9, we drove to Nerva again on Friday. The English language portion of our evening lasted a little less. We ate plate after plate of tapas, drank several glasses of wine, and when we were ready to leave... Federico Sobol said, you know, I was in Poland this summer and brought back some bottles of our wonderful buffalo vodka. I have a bottle in the freezer. You should all come by and we'll have a nightcap. Great idea. Buena idea. Excelente, Federico. So Federico was Polish and went home every summer for his month's vacation. Now, Federico, as an executive, had a home in the old English neighborhood that I've told you about of Bella Vista. We went and sat out in his patio. It was a wonderful, warm fall night. He brought out a bottle, ice cold, of vodka, and he poured each of us a shot. Salud! Yes, down the hatch, said Fred. Smooth, you could feel it go all the way down. Now look at this bottle, said Fred. You see that grass in it? That is bison grass, thus buffalo vodka. Can you taste it? Taste some vanilla, maybe almond. Maybe cinnamon. Yeah, I think so, if I think about it. Well, we need another one. Pay attention to the flavors in your mouth this time, said Fred. Good idea. Yeah, one more. Una mas. And we talked, and before he knew it, the bottle was empty. You want to open another? No. No, muchas gracias. Lo suficiente. Buenas noches. I was so glad everyone said no. 
I told him I didn't need a ride since they all lived there in Buena Vista. I stumbled out, made my way up the hill, back to Los Pinos, maybe half a mile. And this became a tradition for this group. Every fourth week on Friday, we'd have what we called Living English. Now, we saw Miguel, my boss, once a month. He'd drive over from Sevilla on the first workday of the month to pay me for the prior month. After we'd been there a month, he drove over and appeared. He said, good job, Ernesto. Here's your pay. And he holds out a stack of 1,000 peseta bills. It's all yours. No taxes, insurance, social security. You earned it. Hey, boss, thanks. Now, I told you we had a company-provided apartment. It was what they called partially furnished. It had a small kitchen, a bathroom, a living room, and three bedrooms. The furnishings included a double bed, a kitchen stove, a round four-person table and four chairs, uh, and a sofa. Ceiling lights. I didn't know if we'd be there longer than a year, so I had no desire to spend much of my hard-earned cash on furniture. So we live with simple, frugal furnishings. I bought a desk and chair for my study. Maria found a couple of easy chairs. And now this hot water heater was one of those devices that was hooked to a five-gallon tank of propane outside. You turned on the hot water, and the heater shot a blast of flame that heated the water as you used it. It came out hot enough to boil an egg. You had to be careful. And the stove was the same principle, powered by its own propane tank. And uh, it was not an ultra-modern setup, this place. But what can I say? The price was right. And the National Lottery in Spain has a special drawing. It's called El Gordo because of the large prize given the winner. Now, tickets are expensive. Today, the costs are 200 euros for one ticket. Yeah. 225 bucks, but you can buy a piece of a ticket called un decimo, a tenth. It costs less in pesetas in the 70s, certainly, than it does today. And I woke up one morning and I told Maria of a dream I'd had. I dreamed I was running next to a giant muta bull in the streets of Pamplona. I said, oh my God, oh my God, she yelled, scared the hell out of me. You have to buy a lottery ticket. If you dream of bulls, you'll win. We always say that. Well, I didn't believe that Latin folklore, but I bought a decimo of a ticket. The night of the drawing comes, and it wins a big prize, something like 70,000 pesetas, and it's tax-free. So we thought about what we should do with it and decide to take a long weekend trip to Morocco. We drive down to Algeciras. It's near Gibraltar and caught an overnight ferry to Ceuta. Now, Ceuta, the Spanish autonomous city on the north coast of Africa, shares a border with the kingdom of Morocco. So we caught a bus to Tangier, and we stay in a beautiful hotel. And we walked much of this area. My favorite was the Medina Souk, or marketplace. It's a labyrinth of alleyways, incredible displays of spices and the most delicious Moroccan mint tea. I didn't even know I liked mint tea. They hold the pot high over the cup when they pour it and uh, they don't spill a drop. 
tea goes right down in your cup and they say this aerates the tea. And they do this with great panache. So we ate couscous and tagine, kefta, meatball tagine, and chicken with preserved lemons and olives. I still remember those meals. I didn't ride a camel. I didn't do any of that stuff. On many weekends, we'd drive off to Sevilla. We'd leave early on Saturdays, do most of our shopping, go to a bullfight, see a performance of flamenco dancing. But the thing I'd do as soon as we arrived, I'd buy a copy of the International Herald Tribune newspaper. I'd sit down with an espresso and I'd find out what was really happening in the world. I'd found out you really couldn't trust anything that was printed in Spain. It was all published with the purpose of supporting Franco's regime. So one thing about Spain, unless you wanted to buy something traditionally Spanish, you'd overpay or you'd get poor quality. And Spain had no significant auto industry of its own until 1950. It founded SEAT, spelled S-E-A-T, with much technical help from Italy's Fiat. It produced the model Seat 600, the Seat 600, and that was in 1957. It was a small, chunky, fairly cheap cousin of the Fiat 600, which wasn't much to begin with. But it made it possible for many, many Spaniards to own their first car. And to protect this industry, the Spanish government charged up to 300% duties on any car brought in from outside of Spain. I wasn't aware of any of this until one morning I hear a loud knock on our front door. I opened the door and was dumbfounded to see two members of the Guardia Civil. Can I help you? Is your name Ernest Johnson? Yes. Citizen of United States of America? Yes. Are you the owner of Volkswagen Type 3 parked outside? Yes. Present your registration and ownership documents. I got my German car papers. You have not registered this vehicle in Spain? No. You are breaking the law if you drive it and are subject to criminal penalties. Mm, silence. You can pay Spanish duties and registration with penalties and then use this car in Spain. These costs have been calculated at 560,000 Spanish pesetas. I was stunned. That was an absurd figure. Something like four times more than that thing was worth. If you don't wish to or can't pay that, you must drive the vehicle to Huelva tomorrow and deliver it to this address, to the Agencia Tributaria. You will be given a receipt. The car will belong to the Spanish government. They handed me some papers formalizing what they had told me. I had to sign. They left with the words, If this seems a serious matter, it is because it is serious. I was in shock. I sat down to explain it to Maria. But what about the plates you bought in Germany? Those are only of use if you're a tourist. We're not tourists anymore. I just never thought about it, really. Do you want to pay the fines? No way. I don't want to pay a peseta of fines. We'll just drive them the car. It isn't running very well anyway. They can have it. How will we get around? 
well, we can walk around here. And when we need to get out of town, we can take the bus, take the train when we need to. The bus gets us right into downtown Sevilla. And if we need to, we can rent a car. We can rent a lot of cars for half a million pesetas. So the next morning, we drove to Huelva, the provincial capital, about an hour south. It's on the Mediterranean. We drove to the customs department, and I delivered them the car and the keys, and they give me a formal receipt. We stopped at our favorite seafood restaurant, Los Gordos, on the way out and have a nice lunch. Came home on the bus. So what did you think when you saw those two guardias civiles when you opened the door? Maria asked me. I thought I was a goner. I thought they were going to arrest me for being here illegally and working illegally and not paying taxes. I thought I'd end up in jail. Well, I wasn't in jail. I hadn't paid all, much, all that much for that VW anyway. And it wasn't like I had a one-hour commute by car to get to work. So we got over it. We decided to celebrate by taking the bus into Sevilla the next weekend. Give it a try. We get down to the bus stop early on Saturday morning. Lots of women with shopping bags, a few young men, and off we go. We drove through Nerva, I knew that route, and then we headed southeast towards Sevilla. It was very hilly, small mountains, and we're in a narrow two-way road going at a pretty good clip. Nobody seems worried. Everybody's chatting, laughing, visiting. And we had not been going very far. And we arrive at a town called El Madroño. We pull up to a cafe. Yeah, always to a cafe. And the bus pulls up, stops. Driver shuts off the engine and announces, time for a coffee. So we all get out and go in. Most people had a coffee. Many, including the bus driver, a generous glass of 501, 501, the ubiquitous Spanish brandy. So we finish our drinks, get back on the bus, and made it to Sevilla. Did he really have a glass of brandy? Maria asked. Yeah, but he only had one, I said. So we walk from the bus station to our hotel, which is near the famous Cathedral of Sevilla. We had a nice day, did all the things we did in Sevilla, went out that night. On Sunday, we caught the bus home. It's okay. We don't need a car, I said. And my Spanish continued to improve. Soon after the confrontation with the civil guards, some new consultants came to Rio Tinto on a long-term basis. Two Australian geologists from Queensland. They were housed in one of the English houses in Bella Vista. And their names were Donald Levers and Raymond Cantrell. We had a drink with them, and we became pals, and we'd be buddies for a long time. They were happy because we spoke Spanish and knew many of the surrounding cities that they wanted to visit. And also, they had use of a company car anytime they wished. So they'd pick us up on a Saturday morning, and we'd drive off to see the great Moorish cities and architecture, Granada, Cordoba, Badejoz, Merida, we had similar interests, history, architecture, good food, and of course, a good glass of wine. So our life continued. Now this Generalissimo Francisco Franco was old and sick. It was a constant subject in the press. The general is recovering from an operation. 
or the general is going into an operation. As I said before, you didn't criticize the regime or talk Spanish politics with anyone unless you knew them very well and trusted them. But Franco jokes were always a hit amongst your best friends. I heard so many. I wish I could remember, ah oh man, only a tenth of them now. I remember headlines in the ABC, the ABC, the main Spanish newspaper. Grave, in big black type. Grave, referring to Franco's health. Then the next day, grave. Headlines in a larger font, grave. One joke was, Franco regretfully declined a gift of a baby tortoise. He explained that the animal could be expected to live more than a hundred years, and it always hurt him to see a pet die. So July of 1974, Franco falls ill from various health problems, and King Juan Carlos, who Franco had placed in the throne, took over as acting head of state. But Franco recovers enough to resume his duties as head of state, and he falls ill again. He was fighting against all kinds of things, including Parkinson's disease. His last public appearance was October 1st, 1975, when he spoke to crowds from his balcony at the Royal Palace of El Pardo in Madrid. Of course, he lives in as if he were the king. He was gaunt and frail. Of course, he was 82 years old and dying. So about four weeks later, he falls into a coma and he's put on life support. But we didn't know this. They didn't tell anybody this. All we know is the headline, Grave. And it was about this time we hear the joke, Franco is on his deathbed and he hears the noise of a crowd outside. He asks what's going on. The people have come to say goodbye. Franco replies, why? Are they going somewhere? Oh man, I got to tell you, that's pretty funny in Spanish. So he's left on life support for 22 days until his family, meaning his old crow of a wife, finally agrees to disconnect the life support machines. Nothing changes. If anything, the Guardia Civil and the Grises are even worse than before. And it's about this time I hear the joke that Franco goes to Lourdes, the city famous in France for the young girl, St. Bernadette. And he wants to pray to cure some small ailment. He dies the moment he arrives. The multitude falls to its knees with a cry of, Milagro, milagro, miracle, miracle. Well, I thought that was pretty funny when I heard it. Okay, it may be funnier in Spanish. Now, you know, Franco's death in jokes even made it to the States although I didn't know it until I returned sometime later. It was the first year of Saturday Night Live, and Chevy Chase was a host of Weekend Update. And he uh, said it was November the 22nd. Despite Franco's death and expected burial tomorrow, doctors say the dictator's health has taken a turn for the worse. <laughs> a month later, Chase reports, our top story tonight, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. Now, these jokes continued regularly on the show. Once a month, more often, a year later, Chevy Chase has left. Jane Curtin announces, and in still another celebration, 
Today marks the first anniversary of the so-called death of Generalissimo Francisco Franco. I can't wait to tell you about our first Christmas after we moved to Rio Tinto. But unfortunately, I don't have time to go into that now. I want to thank our sponsors at Anashira. They tell me these podcasts are reaching more people, and that makes them happy. And a happy sponsor means we can continue to make these podcasts. I know many of you have stopped going to the beach now that fall is here. Don't let that bring you down. Just go to Anashira.com and buy a few bars of Playa del Mar soap. You can take that into the shower and you'll imagine yourself on the sand with the sun beating down on you, the seagulls calling and the waves crashing down. Your skin will feel so good you may not want to come out of the shower. And that is Stories from Anashira for this week. I'm Ernie Johnson, founder of the company. If you have a few minutes, I'd love it if you would rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help us reach more people and it will please our sponsor. Please join me next week as I tell more Iberian adventures in my Stories from Anashira.